Hey, Velocity, great to be worshiping with you uh, here and online uh, today. Hey, I, I don't know how you feel about Sunday mornings, or if you even think about that regularly, like when you get up in the morning and you know it's Sunday, what your thought process is when you know that you're uh, planning to either come to church or have church in your living room, whatever, whatever that's looking like for you right now. But for me, su- Sunday morning brings all kinds of different thoughts and all kinds of different, uh, different range of emotions. And some of that is, you know, making sure different boxes are checked and there are all kinds of different things going on in the back of my head, sometimes even as I'm preaching. I don't know if you have that in your life where you can be having a conversation with someone or doing something else, but there's something else like in the back of your mind and you try not to focus on that too much because you know if you do, then you'll get distracted by it and it won't be a good thing. Because like one of the things for me is when I get right here, to this spot in this room, is that I still, every time, have just a little bit of nerves. And, and I know if I think about that too much, that's not gonna be a good thing. So I'm gonna stop talking about it. <laughs> There's a weightiness to the responsibility that I have, both that I feel and also that scripture tells me that exists when it comes to preaching God's word. And so when I'm standing in this spot, that, that weightiness is a very real thing. That responsibility is something I take very seriously. But it's not only in this spot where that responsibility exists. I may be more aware of it right here, but it exists anywhere else I go in my life. It's not just this place. And that's the case for all of us. We all have places in our lives where we're more uh, you know, acutely aware of certain realities. Like for example, when I'm at a wedding, I'm focused more on marriage. When I'm at a funeral, I'm focused more on death and so on. And the last couple of weeks, as we're talking about the things that God sets apart as sacred in our lives, we've talked about the relationship between us, you know, him and us that he sets apart as sacred. We've talked about his name. Uh, that he sets apart his sa- as sacred. Um, and this morning, we're going to look at the places in which God has set apart as sacred. Now, there are different standards that apply to sacred places in our lives, and we all have them. For example, I took a few pictures I'll share with you this morning from Renee and I, our anniversary trip to New York City this, no, not this summer, 2020, but 2019. And we were out there, and we visited some places that I would say people consider to be sacred. This is St. Patrick's Cathedral uh, behind me. And I don't know if any of you have seen, you've probably seen that picture, even if you haven't been there in person, Uh, but we visited this sacred place. It's a church building. Religious services take place there, and people have venerated this location since 1878. It took about 20 years to complete. Um, Lots of money and time have been poured into it since. And and people will go in, will visit, and have mass there, whatever, uh, you know, or, or just tour it, and, and feel a sacred experience there. Now, I, I will say, for me, that's not exactly the case, especially when I, when I see, like, the pulpit, and I think about, man, I'd much rather be standing here than right there. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. There's something, something about that. Not quite my cup of tea, but it was fascinating. The building is gorgeous, uh, very, very uh, very cool to see the, the art and uh, the time that people have spent in, in creativity for that space. We also visited another sacred place. Well, sacred to some. Uh, this is Yankee Stadium, <laughs> the new one. Go, go Nats. Although that's, a, that's not a happy, happy space to be in right now. Um, you know, one of the most stadium, of course, stadiums keep getting more and more expensive, but at the time, one of the most expensive stadiums or temples to baseball you know, ever built. 
And on the day of our anniversary during the trip, we visited the most sacred place that we visited the whole time during our anniversary, and that was this place. Doesn't look that impressive, does it? Uh, this is Cafe Lalo, and some of you that like uh, old school romantic movies, oh well, not too old school, but you've got mail. This is the, this, this is, that's Renee and I's favorite romantic movie to watch together. And so uh, this is the place where Tom Hanks finds out that Meg Ryan is shop girl. And this is the cafe that they meet in and um, she dresses him down and, and all that kind of stuff. Remember Instant Messenger? That was good times. Renee and I hung out on Instant Messenger some. So all interesting places to visit and we won't all agree that they're sacred. Yankee Stadium, definitely not. But the time, resources, and events that take place there make it so for different people. Um, and and that's, that's the case for, for us in the sacred places that we think about. Uh, the places that matter, however, the places that are truly transformative, transformative, and you know what I'm about to say, are those spaces in which God says his presence is. And so there are three main places that God says, hey, this is where I'm going to be. This is where you can find me. And they progress throughout scripture. And so we're going to talk about those just a little bit and why that's significant for us as we think about where God's presence is as we go about living out our faith and our lives. The first is God says that his presence is going to be in the Holy of Holies. Now, for some of you, you're like, oh, I know exactly what that is, or where that is, and what's going on there. Some of you don't, and so I'm going to share a little bit about what that means. This was the most exclusive part, this is the most exclusive room in the tabernacle or the temple where God said his presence is going to be. And the tabernacle just means tent, and that's where things started off for the nation of Israel as they were worshiping God and wandering in the wilderness. And it wasn't until three kings in, uh, King Solomon, that they had a permanent temple structure that was built. And within the inner innermost room, you had this special room that had one single item in it. Well, it was a box that had other items in it. Uh, and that is where God said his presence would be, the most holy place or the holy of holies. And of course, the tabernacle and, and the temple, that's where the sacrifices would take place. That's where reading of scripture would take place. That's where uh, prophets would, would share. Um, this is where offerings were brought to God. And behind that curtain, the box that sat there was called the Ark of the Covenant. Now, you're familiar with that because you've seen Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade. <laughs> and you know, we'd all be able to see it if we could find that warehouse and the box that it's in. Just kidding, the Babylonians uh, got rid of that long time, a long, long time ago. And within that box, which was overlaid with gold and it was decorated, you would find the Ten Commandments. You'd find Aaron's staff who uh, led the priests who were responsible for taking care of and conducting worship through the tabernacle and the temple. Uh, Aaron's staff budded as a way for God to show his calling on his life. You can read about that in Numbers chapter 13. Um, and it also included a container of manna. And this is what God used to feed the Israelites as they were wandering in the wilderness. And this is the first dedicated physical location for the presence of God behind the curtain in a place so sacred that only one person, the high priest, could visit one time a year. This is what God says about that place early on in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 2. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement covered in the ark or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. And so uh, the first thing that I would say is God obviously takes his presence very seriously. And so that's something that we should pay attention to. And in fact, the Israelite nation centered their 
worship and their gathering, gathering even the way they camped around the tabernacle as they were, as they were traveling, uh, centered on the presence of God. Of course, over time, as time passes, and this is true for all of us who care about God and follow him, the place became more revered than God's presence was. By the time we get to Jesus, there's still temple worship taking place, but it's questionable whether or not there was any validity in regards to whether the temple was even unclean or not. Even the Ark of the Covenant was long since lost. Slowly but surely over time, and this is why we need to be reminded of these things, people miss the point. And the spirit behind the sacred relationship God had established and welcomed his people into wasn't a priority. And the more it wasn't a priority, the more they drifted from God, the more that place of God's presence was overrun and destroyed by their enemies until the temple represented more of a missed opportunity rather than the place to find God. And the reason that happens throughout history, not only for the Israelites, but it happens to us as well, we can go through those phases in, in our life, is we get more consumed by the places we're in rather than the places that God is in. And we miss out on sacredness when a place becomes more sacred than God's presence. But God knows this about us, uh, that if it was purely about a physical location, which it never was to begin with, then unless we stayed there constantly, we'd live as though a sacred place only mattered to our lives when we visited, not as we were living our lives. Every once in a while, I, I can tell this is still the case for people because I, I don't know if you know this, but sometimes people feel awkward around pastors. And I can sense that. Um, <laughs> And sometimes I enjoy that, but not, most of the time I, I don't. I, you know, just, hey, just be you. You know, I'm just Rob. You know, it's just, I'm just another, another Christian following Jesus. Um, but sometimes you get this combination of awkwardness, and that is talking to the pastor in the church building. And sometimes, uh, you know, we'll have this conversation, and somebody will say, oh, I, sh I shouldn't have said that in church. <laughs> and depending on where that person is in their faith, um, you know, I'll say something like this. Well, if you can't say in church, you probably shouldn't be saying it anywhere. And that's fun because that just ratchets the awkwardness up just a little bit more. You know, but, but seriously, there, there is nothing more special about these four walls than the four walls of your home or the four walls of your workplace or the four walls of your gym or, or, or wherever you may be. And that ultimately becomes the case for the physical presence of God within the Holy of Holies. Because just because the presence of God could be visited, it didn't mean it was limited to that specific place. The letter to the Hebrews sums it up like this in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up in its first room where the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the Covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. But they're fascinating. So you read it. Read about it. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins that the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit, and here's the really key part in verses 8, 9, and 10. 
The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time. In other words, now that Jesus has ascended back into heaven after raising from the dead, the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They were only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial, ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. In fact, God is using this, and, and that's the case throughout the Old Testament, as a picture of what he's ultimately going to set up because of what we need for things to work in our relationship with him. And that new order is Jesus. And so God, at this time, rather than on a box in a room, God's presence went from a place to the person of Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man who could be interacted with and followed. But, but even then, ultimately, God still had another place in mind that would become sacred. And that second sacred place where he would shift from the holy holies and not, not just stop in the person of Jesus Christ, but that second place that became sacred is you and me. Jesus' death on the cross made permanent through living sacrifice, the place where God's presence could be found would be within and through those whose Lord and Savior is Jesus and this is illustrated by Jesus at his death, this transition from the Holy of Holies to, to us. Matthew chapter 27, verses 50 and 51, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. By the way, note the direction there. Normally, a high, this is a very high curtain. You, you couldn't reach the top to be able to tear it from top to bottom. And so that's God doing that and saying, hey, that, that distance, that separation, Jesus changed all of that for you and me. There's so, many, um, there's so many faith traditions in which man seeks to go to where God is. You know, whether that, that's trying to get to Mount Olympus or trying to get to Valhalla, um, people always want to go where God or the gods are. And, and, you know, you can go and visit other temples and uh, places for other religions where, you know, they create sacred places and spaces where they're hoping to uh, connect with their God. Um, I've visited a lot of those. Um, I've been to temples of other religions, and I've felt the presence, not of God, uh, but of, of not God. Uh, I've been to the village idols in remote villages and seen uh, the place where they sacrifice uh, chickens to uh, their little g gods and experience what it feels like to be uh, in that place. And there's a very distinct difference between going to a physical location and looking to have an experience of, of who God is versus knowing that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit means that God's presence is with us and every place that we go then has the opportunity to become sacred when we're aware of it. In Celtic Christianity, there's this tradition called thin places, and I think I've mentioned this before, um, and it's one of those things that's fairly significant for me, and, and basically, in a nutshell, what that means is that there are places in our lives where we become more acutely aware of God's presence. And, and those are places worth paying attention to. 
And for you, maybe it's your grandmother's kitchen, maybe it's the woods, maybe it's on top of a mountain. Uh, it, it can be in a number of different places, but I think the real key for that is, is being aware that that opportunity for a thin place to recognize how close we are to God and that feeling exists anywhere we go. We can create sacred space to experience God's presence as long as we're not limiting it to one or two physical locations. Sacred places can produce sacred moments, but they're no replacement for the sacred presence of God with us and within us. We're the temple now. We're, we're not constructed. Well, God constructs us, but we're re reborn. And that's, that's why baptism is a thing when it comes to living the Christian life and how we say yes to God and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit being a part of what God does in that moment. The Holy Spirit dwells within us, which means that everywhere we go, there's an opportunity for a sacred space. The more aware of God's presence we become, the more opportunities we have to experience those sacred places, sometimes even in the most unlikeliest of places. When I think about the significance of the most holy place, you know, the Holy of Holies and that box and what it contained in there, um, I, I think the items that are found in there and why God establishes his presence there represent some specific ways in which we can recognize where we can experience God's sacred places in our lives. Um, let me explain what I mean. The Ten Commandments, for example, those are God's word. And so he gives that to his people to know who he is, his character and nature, what it means to follow him. And, and who, is, who is Jesus? Jesus is the word became flesh who dwelt among us. Aaron's staff, it represented in Numbers chapter 13, you can read that later, it represented God's calling in his life. Uh, there were 12 staffs set apart. Aaron's was the only one that budded uh, and produced almonds. And, and God was saying very specifically, this is the one whom I'm calling for this line of priests to be coming, uh, to be coming through and a part of that. And then what does Jesus do? He calls us, his disciples, to follow, follow him. This pot of manna, this container, this gold container of manna, it represents God's provision. And what does Jesus do? He fulfills the promise that God will never leave us or forsake us. A promising that we don't have to worry about the cares of this life uh, because he will always provide for us. These three things converge into the place where God dwells. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit whose presence Jesus says is even better for us than his. Because there doesn't ever have to be a moment where we're separated by a physical location. God's sacred place is sacred space in our hearts and our minds and our souls. In the Old Testament, you went to a place and made preparations to be in the presence of God. Now, while within the presence of God, knowing that's the case, we prepare to be with him just to be reminded of that and recognize those opportunities that already exist in our life. And we also prepare to be with him um, for all eternity. And that's the third place that God says he is going to be. The third place God establishes presence is in heaven. You know, Jesus reassures the disciple with the knowledge of his departure being imminent that he is going on to prepare a place for us. In John chapter 14, starting in verse 1, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have not have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the place to where I'm going. And the way to God's sacred place, the place of his presence, is through Jesus.
It's a present reality within followers of Jesus, and so we carry that with us wherever we go, especially when we gather together. Jesus says, I am here with you in your midst. He's with us now. Uh, That's why we uh, care about gathering together, not only on Sunday mornings, but within small groups, as we care about one another, encourage one another, remind each other what God's sacred place and presence in our life means. That's the context in which we experience God's presence on this earth as we encourage and remind each other of the conspicuous joy that we share in him and being with him in heaven. And we can live as we will when we are with him then because he is with us now. Uh, David writes in Psalm 139, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will, be not, will not be dark to you, the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. As we're gathered together right now in this place, God is here. We don't have to invite his presence in because he's already promised to be here with us. The question for us is whether or not we have made ourselves aware of that reality. Are are we recognizing that the Holy Spirit dwelling within us means that we take that sacred place, that sacred space with us? And that as we leave and as we go about our day throughout this week, before we come back together next Sunday, that God's presence is there with us in those places too. As we look forward to celebrating and being with him in his presence, in his sacred place in the future, may we also share his presence together in the here and now as we recognize that this becomes a sacred place because of what Jesus has done in and through our lives. As we prepare to take communion together like we do every week at Velocity, I want to encourage you this week to create space in your life, whether it's in your schedule, whether it's a physical location in your home or at a park somewhere, whatever that looks like, create some space to experience God's presence, to to recognize the sacred space in which he operates within our hearts and our souls and our minds. And, And whether that looks like spending some time in solitude spending some time in reading scripture, prayer, um, being still and knowing that he is God, whatever that looks like, I, I want to encourage you to, to do that, uh, to, to be intentional and, and to do that every week. That's it's something that we should be looking toward every week so we can be reminded of, of what God has done and what he is continuing to do in our life. And so we're going to celebrate that as we take communion this morning. Um, we're going to, we've got tables on either side. Before we get up, I'm going to pray, but we've got table, three tables on the room, and so we're going to get up and, and take that. But we're going to be reminded of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection um, and how he enables um, our lives to be sacred spaces in which God's presence swells. Let's pray. God, we praise you for... Um, the knowledge that you are always with us and that you aren't limited by a physical location. God, we're also grateful for those physical locations that we can visit and we know that you're going to show up because we are with fellow believers of Jesus. 
And so whether that means we're gathering, gathering in a building, in our homes, in a Bible study with people at work, whatever that, whatever that looks like, God, we praise you for the knowledge that that is the case. And God, we, we just ask you that you guide us with the Holy Spirit into recognizing that, to be reminded of that as we move about our lives, that as we get distracted by everything else around us, that we don't forget um, that where we walk, because you indwell us, there's sacred ground. God, we praise you, we give, all the, give you all the glory. Look, we look forward to the future that we have in you to be in your physical presence. God, we thank you for that hope and that joy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.